Welcome to Reflections from the Heart, presented by Stewardship, a mission of faith. Reflections from the Heart with your host, David Abel, is an outreach of gospel reflection, a ministry of stewardship, a mission of faith. For the next 30 minutes, please join David as he breaks open the bread of life in the gospel reading for Sunday's Mass. And as the same Holy Spirit who inspired the biblical writers, inspires us today with the truths he reveals to our hearts through his word. Now, here's David with Reflections from the Heart. Hello and welcome to Reflections from the Heart. My name is Rob Longo and we're dialing in here from Stewardship and Mission of Faith uh, along with Tom Terrace, Tom DeAngelis, and Don Gleikman. Guys, how you doing? Hey, Rob. Great. Thanks, Great. Rob. Thanks, Rob. All right. Advent's going all right? Wonderful. Yeah. Can you believe we're coming up on the third Sunday of Advent? Man, mm-hmm. time flies. So let's uh, let's utilize the gift of our time and, and, uh, and share in a gospel reflection together. So for those of you who have been with us before, welcome back. Uh, those of you who are new, to, uh, to Reflections from the Heart. It's a gospel reflection that we're going to look at the gospel for the coming Sunday. So we're not hearing it for the first time at Mass, uh, so we can go prepared, uh, just like John the Baptist told us last week, right? Prepare. Uh, this, this coming Sunday, the gospel is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 2 to 11. Chapter 11, 2 to 11. Uh, Jesus came so we would all be united, right, Tom? Right. And uh, he wants to unite all of God's kids together so we can end up in heaven. And uh, he has a beautiful prayer in the Gospel of John, Jesus' prayer for unity. So, Tom, if you could uh, lead us in a prayer. Sure. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please, Lord, allow each of us gathered here in this room to be an instrument in the answer to your prayer of unity, so that each of us, united as one, may be a light that leads to you. And Jesus' prayer for unity is from John 17, verse 20 to 23. I pray not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, so that they may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may know that you sent me. And I have given them the glory that you gave me, so that they may be one, as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be brought to perfection as one, that the world may know that you sent me, and that you love them even as you love me. Amen. 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 In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And you know, God the Father will not allow a prayer from Jesus to go unanswered. So let's uh, let's pray that we can be instruments in the in the healing and the unity of of, uh, of the body. Don, want to read the gospel for us, please? Surely. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter eleven, verses two through eleven. When John the Baptist heard in prison of the words of the Christ, he sent his disciples to Jesus with this question: Are you the one? Who is to come, or should we look for another? Jesus said to them in reply, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind regain their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news proclaimed to them. And blessed is the one who takes no offense at me. As they were going off, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out to the desert to see? A reed reed swayed by the wind, then what did you go out to see? Someone dressed in fine clothing? Those who wear fine clothing are in royal palaces. Then why did you go out? To see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, 
Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. Amen, I say to you, among those born of women, there has been none greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise you, you, Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. I, I sense a theme here. I, I circled works of Christ. Last week, we heard about producing good fruit, produce good fruit as evidence of your repentance. And John the Baptist said, um, you know, when John the Baptist heard in prison of the works of Christ, and we're Christians, we're supposed to be followers of Christ, and, uh, and John is hearing about the works of Christ. Uh, we need to do something. It's a beautiful song, uh, do something, I think it's called, and and uh, and the refrain, I forget the refrain, but at one point it says, uh, you know, a guy cries up to God, why don't you do something? And, and, and the song says, God replied, I did, I created you. Yeah. Right? So instead of complaining about, about the, you know, why are people blind? Why are people lame? Why are people lepers? Why are people deaf? Why are people dead? Why are people poor? Right? Instead of complaining about all the, the struggles and the strife in the world, Let's do something, right? Let's get engaged. We can't feed everyone, but like Mother Teresa said, while you guys are trying to figure out how to take care of world hunger, I'm trying to get this person in front of me a glass of milk, right? And we just do something, do something yeah. instead of being paralyzed by the enormity of the, the, the needs in the world. Let's just look right in front of us, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our places of work, wherever we are. Right, the ministry of the moment. How can we produce good fruit in the moment? What work works could we do in the moment to imitate Christ and uh, and just do something, do something? Hmm. So, Lord, help me to do something. I think too, it's it's uh, interesting that they, you know, that John's asking about the works of Christ, and so he sends his disciples to to talk to ask Jesus about this, and he wants Jesus to confirm that he is who he thinks he is, and Jesus doesn't do that. He says, "You look and see yourself, and you go back and tell John what you hear and what you see," and then he goes through the the, the list of things there that are this is what's happening, you know, and he goes the you know the blind regain their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are clean, cleansed, et cetera, et cetera. And he says, that's – and the other thing at the end, though, is that blessed is the one who takes no offense at me, which is kind of a puzzle because you look at somebody who does all those things, you know, blind regains their sight, lame walk, lepers cleanse, deaf hear, et cetera, et cetera. And why would you take offense at somebody like that? But apparently that was uh, important at the time. There probably were people who took offense or didn't believe or couldn't comprehend. But uh, – but interesting, he wants Jesus to tell him who he is. Are you the one? And Jesus says, go back and tell John what you hear and see. You know, I, I don't have to tell you. You can tell him yourself from what you see. You know, here's the evidence. And uh, this uh, helps me because when John the Baptist asked that question, I almost think he's asking it for all of us throughout time. He's he's Because I've asked that question, Jesus, are you the one? Or am I supposed to look for another? And here John's taking care of it, you know. Back then, 2,000 years ago, he's asking the question for me. And then when, uh, as you were saying, Tom, you know, I'm blessed is the one who takes no offense at me. Why would you be offended at Jesus? Because I think he, if he ran into Jesus face to face back there, I think you might be confronted with your own sin. Mm. And if you don't have that humility, you take offense at him. Mm. Get out of here. You know, I'll crucify you. I don't want to see you. But if you have that humility, 
you know, then you you say you you see the sin in yourself that Jesus reveals, and then you know there's a repentance. Hopefully, Tom, Tom mm-hmm. thank you so much because that really answers or helps shed some light on something I was kicking around last week when it uh, talks about acknowledging. Remember last week, so acknowledging your sin. Uh, I forget the exact. I think that was the words that um, John the Baptist talks about acknowledging our sin. And I was oh yeah. I, I, they went to the Jordan River and they acknowledged their sins. And I was thinking last week, why is it so hard for us to acknowledge our sins? And if we don't have, if we don't allow the gift of humility into our hearts, then we'll recoil at the recognition of our own mm-hmm. sins, and we'll we'll try to blame others or make excuses. And I imagine that's what hell is all about. You're just cursing God all the day long yeah. about those sins, and you'll never be. Forever and ever yeah. and ever. Yeah. And and in our prayer book, uh, that you know, we'll be happy to send to you guys if you if you want one. Just give us a call. There's an evening prayer at the end of the prayer book, and we're 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 praying, invoking the Holy Spirit to reveal to us, you know, in my thoughts, in my words, in my actions that day, how did I offend my Lord? So if we have, if we practice, uh, you know, that daily discipline of examination of conscience where we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal. Sometimes the Holy Spirit uses other people <laughs> to yeah. reveal. So if we're yeah. praying for that, praying for that humility, that, that docility, that teachability, to be teachable, moldable, and someone comes and has the courage to point something out, then the Holy Spirit most likely would have prepared our heart to be, oh, wow, thank you, you know, to be in that position as opposed to, what do you mean? You know, what are you talking about, right? Yeah. Um, so thank you, Tom. That was... That was really good to uh well you know yeah. too as you were saying that Rob I was listening but at the same time I was going back in my mind to well why would why would we be like that why are we we're like wired instinctively to kind of defend ourselves or prop ourselves up or you know we're almost it's almost like we're anti-humility you know we're it's just part of our instinct and then I thought you know and I've in my saner moments you know when I've been clearer <laughs> and lucid and, and made probably more Christ-like or closer to Christ, I've come to realize that when we work against that instinct, I, th- I think our instinct tells us if, you know, if people really knew who you were, they would, they wouldn't like you, they wouldn't respect you. They, they, you know. And what, what I think happens is when you do surrender to Christ and humble yourself and be that kind of a person, you become much more attractive to people. They want to be around you. They, they like who you are. They like the fact that you're honest, that you're truthful that you're not always looking to put yourself ahead of them or ahead of somebody else, that you're looking to build them up. I mean, who wouldn't want to be around a person like that? And yet our instinct tells us that we can't let our guard down because if we do and people really find out what we're like, then they won't like us. Mm-hmm. And it's not a ma- – they like us more when we don't do that. It's almost yeah. like yeah. they like us when, we're, when, our, when we are authentic – when we right. are our authentic self. And right. it reminds me of last week's reading when John the Baptist is dressed in camel's hair and yeah. you know, he's very real, he's authentic, he's like earthly versus yeah. perhaps the, the Pharisees and Sadducees are all adorned in their mighty robes and everything, yeah. you know, covering up their real selves. Right. I'm in a gospel reflection group very early on Wednesday mornings and this morning we were talking about, about an issue like this because here... The blind regain their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. Why would that give offense? Well, the reason it gave offense is because at that time, the secular understanding was, the belief was, 
that a person had these problems when they had sinned. And therefore, if they sinned, they were made blind, or if they sinned, they became lame, etc. We know now that from a secular point of view, that's not true. But at the same time, do we listen to the secular message or do we listen to God's words? Do we listen to God saying, I love you, come this way? Or do we say, take this problem away from me, Lord, so that I can feel closer to you? Here, the question that Jesus had was, do you're looking for someone dressed in fine clothing? Are you looking for someone whom you can say, I know this person has to be good without sin because they're dressed up with long phylacteries and, and long robes and they're, they're, they're powerful? Or do we look for someone, are we drawn to someone, as you said, Tom, who's humble, who attracts us because of the genuineness of their, of their heart and of their being? And I think mm-hmm. the answer is pretty obvious to us that this is why we have to go out to the desert to see because we can't see those things where we live, where we live every day around our society because the, the secular world is talking to us mm. instead of Christ. In the desert, it's quiet. It's lonely. There's not much out there. There aren't too many water fountains or, or Arby's. Instead of that, we have to just go out there and listen to God. And there aren't a lot of people that you got to worry about impressing either. That's so, right. Yeah. Mm. So it takes that burden off of us. And <laughs> it's hard not to be honest when you're out there and it's just you and the coyotes and, you know, <laughs> and God. I, I wish I had this quote, but a, couple, a week or so ago, I got a, I got a daily, a daily email and uh, there's a different theme each day. And a couple weeks ago, the theme was joy. And the quote was from Archbishop Fulton Sheen. And it was talking about the, one of the hardest virtues to attain uh, but one that gives you that pure joy is being able to truly be happy for the success of others. Hmm. To really, yeah. truly celebrate the success of others. And I was just thinking about that, Don, as you were sharing and saying that if, if, if joy is produced when someone does something good or achieves something good, and that's the only way you can experience joy. Okay, if I'm happy for my own you know, achievements and success, okay, I'll have a little bit of joy. Well, I have five kids. I have a wife. I have friends. Like, who doesn't want joy? Like, that our joy can multiply if we try to live that virtue to truly be happy, catch people doing things right, celebrate their success. And he says most people don't because there's a fear that if someone else is successful or if someone else is growing in virtue, that it's being taken away from you, yourself. Mm-hmm. But God doesn't roll like that. I mean, he's, he's abundance. He's unlimited. He's yeah. right. That, that he wants everyone. Yeah, there's, there's, there's enough virtue to go around for everyone that, you know, we can celebrate in, in someone's success. A very important lesson that I once learned from a very wise man was joy is made of three letters, J-O-Y. The best definition I've ever heard of achieving real joy is to journey outside yourself. Mm. Get outside mm. of yourself, think and act for others. And as soon as we start doing that, the focus changes. It's not all about me, I, myself. It's about others and how to satisfy them. And that's when we become selfless, and that's when we can do what God wants us to do. Mm. And I thought you were going in a different direction with that because I heard J-O-Y is Jesus, others, and you in that order. Yeah. 
So I thought you were going in that direction, but it's just, it amounts to the same principle. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Put Jesus first, others second, and you last in that order. So, yeah. So as long as you can leave yourself last, there's, that's there's the two little. Yeah, there's two little mnemonics there for, to, to remember <laughs> that. But you know, it also think, seems to be a description of like a servant. You know, right. when you're serving others. It seems the most, a lot of the most joyful people are those who serve others in yeah. a variety of ways. You know, M- Mother Teresa comes to mind. Mm-hmm. They said she was so joyful all the time and extremely poor, and but mm-hmm. served those who were the least among us. Mm-hmm. You know, a year and a half ago, I gave my granddaughter, who just turned four, uh, three DVDs to watch. We watch her a couple of days a week, and my my wife very wisely said, "Keep those for a while. She's not ready for them yet." But she sort of may have thought maybe she was ready for them yesterday, and she showed a DVD to my granddaughter, and she loved it. She said, "Would you sit down and, and watch this with me?" And I did. I sat down on a sofa, and she sat next to me. She put my arm around her, then she put her hand on my hand, and that was really kind of special in itself. We were watching some cartoon characters talk about St. Therese who took tremendous joy in doing little things in mm. doing small things for God mm. my granddaughter looked up at me and she said I can do that mm. yeah. I can do things like that for other people small things mm. yeah mm. I was thinking too about um, the the joy that comes from you know God gives us a little taste of joy once in a while, and we think we can get it just, you know, kind of cheaply, like we get pleasure, you know, because joy is not the same thing. Joy is the fruit of a virtue that we have to work at. But I think he gives us little tastes of it, you know, that we know it's – there's a difference between, like, sensual pleasure – and the joy that we get, for example, because we've mastered something, we've, that we've become patient and we know that, you know, that we can tolerate other people being offensive or rude or something like that, or that we've become honest and we can tolerate other people's criticisms when we speak up for our faith, for example, or something like that. There's a joy that, that a difficult situation uh, and the virtue doesn't... Uh, doesn't overshadow. In other words, like for pleasure, there's pain, but for joy, like there isn't any, joy is in spite of, you know, joy is in suffering. Joy is in serving. Joy is in putting others first. And it's already, it's a joy that comes from doing something difficult. So anything else that comes after that doesn't diminish the joy, but we get little tastes of that in situations. And then I, I kind of feel like God is drawing me toward that. He's saying, you can have this all the time, but you got to work at it. It's not, you know, here's a little taste. You know, he's dropping these little bonbons <laughs> on, the, on the floor in the way, and you pick one up and you go, that's really good. And, and then you go back to, you know, to not doing that anymore, to getting frustrated with people, to being jealous, to, you know, when some, something good happens to somebody else. But we can have that. But how do you, just that one example you gave, Rob, like how do you discipline your mind and your heart over and over and over again so that it becomes habit? To stumble on it once in a while, I think, is God's gift to us. It's part of his grace. To work at it over and over again with his grace and to take that and and have it become a virtue at some point, I think that's the great thing. And that's what St. Therese did with those little things. She just worked at them and worked at them and worked at them. So also, if you read her autobiography, you'll find a lot of times when she didn't do little things for—and she caught herself. She didn't do little things with great love. And uh, 
And she, you know, she would bring that up in her autobiography. This is not what Jesus is calling me to. Back to what you but, said a moment ago yeah. about joy not being the same thing as pleasure. Yeah. Uh, joy often doesn't include pleasure at all. Yeah. Exactly. Having true joy. Exactly. Sometimes right. involves pain and, and anguish and grief. Right. And distress. But it can produce joy. I think about that. There's a psalm uh, that reminds me when you talk about service to other people. And I, I'm not going get, to get the chapter and verse correctly, but it's in there. You can find it. It also shows up in the daily in the office, the office of the readings periodically. But uh, where's this this sense of the servant has their eyes fixed on the hands of their master or their mistress, so that whenever they're ready for something, whenever they motion to come forward, or they're they need something to wash their hands, or they need a fork, or they need some. They're there. They're right there. Their eyes are fixed on it. And I think about, you know, God and Jesus as being kind of, you know, that way with us and that they're asking us to be that way. And and that's there's a joy in that that can't be taken away by the fact that, you know, it, it, you know there's no pleasure there. There's a, the, joy, the joy is not the same thing as pleasure because it does, you're right. It does come from it comes from putting ourselves out and learning how to enjoy that learning how to say this is the best place to be. I had a, conversa- had a conversation with my daughter who's 15, and we were just talking about a bunch of different things. And she had asked me, we, we, at one point we were going to a nursing home every week to do a gospel reflection, and there was a change. The nursing home was sold and change of leadership, and uh, the person that we connected with was no longer there, so it just kind of fizzled out. And she asked me, whatever happened to the nursing home? I told her, and she said, remember how how hard of a time, how much of a hard time I gave you every time you wanted me to go with you. And she says, but I always felt good when we left. Yeah. Right. That, that on the way there, sure. She didn't want to leave home. Sure. She'd rather be with her friends. She'd rather do whatever. And it was hard to leave to go there. But once she was there, she goes, for some reason, I just connect with, you know, the older people. And I was like, yeah, great. There's this, especially this one resident, Anne would never come out for the gospel reflection. And if I said, Ann, look who's here, and it was Grace, my daughter, she would perk up, and Grace would be able to wheel her right down to the, mm. you know, to the end of the hall for the gospel yeah. reflection. And, uh, and she says, but whenever you know, I would go on the way out, I felt so good, right? So that's God's gift, that when we allow ourselves to be third, right, Jesus, others, yourself, the gift is the joy, right, that, right. that he gives us that, that beautiful gift of joy, uh, in in our serving others. I just read this sentence toward the end. Behold, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way for you. You know, I was thinking, I'm sending someone ahead of you. Who's that? Well, it was John the Baptist. And what did John the Baptist do? He helped the people to repent and to be baptized. And to be baptized, they had to repent and recognize their sin which meant they had to lower themselves. But then he said, I will prepare the way before you. What is the way? Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. If he's the way, he's preparing their their recognition of sin and repentance is the preparation to accept the Lord because we can't accept the Lord without repentance. We recognize our need for him. Go ahead, bro. And if you look at the order... Of, uh, of John's ministry, baptism for repentance, and then Jesus is going to baptize, and the apostles are going to baptize for the forgiveness of sins. 
Not, you know, so, mm-hmm. you know, that repentance, right. that change of lifestyle, that change towards goodness really prepares our hearts to receive that forgiveness. Because sometimes in my life, I'll, I'll confess, I'll repent, but I still feel guilty. I still feel shame. All right. That free gift of forgiveness, we need to be able to receive that and act as if we're forgiven. You know, don't keep drugging, dragging ourselves back through the mud that we, through God's grace, got out of. And, yeah. uh, you know, John is really preparing the hearts and, and encouraging people to produce good fruits. And in another gospel, I don't know if we're going to hear it this Advent, people are like, okay, now what? You know, now what do I do? I say, well, if you have two coats, give one. You know, if you have yeah. a bunch of food, give some, right? Very simple things, right? And it all is preparing our hearts to truly receive the gift of forgiveness um, to, to make that change us. And as we as we kind of get to close to the end here of the of the of the, pro- the program, the last thing, the most encouraging thing, is the last line because he he goes on to say, you know, how great John the Baptist is. You know, among those born of women, there's none greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And I always felt like if I could just get in the door there, you know, like you don't have to be up in the front. I don't need to be up, you know. And, and but if I can just get in the door, you know, that's good enough because. Yeah, and that's and he even says that John the Baptist is the greatest person born of woman, and yet even the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, and that's encouraging because you know if we can work to that to that goal to that end, and that really is joy, being part of Christ here on on earth, you know. So it's right. not like it's distasteful; it's just a struggle. It's just work to get there. It's hard to get there. Yeah, the the struggle I think you're speaking of is like is the suffering. And because we see John's in prison, <laughs> he followed yeah. Jesus and preached Good point. Jesus, and here he is in prison. So yeah. I guess we, we have to, you know, accept the suffering that will come our way. But, you know, we have heaven waiting yeah. for us. Yeah, saints would say if we only knew the value of suffering, we would pray for it. I don't think we need to go that far because suffering's <laughs> going to come, right? Yeah. But we can offer up sacrifices, right? Suffering yeah. guaranteed will come. Uh, but each day we can sacrifice even little things. And then uh, those sacrifices offered up where we sacrifice, we, we do it, we don't complain, we offer it up to save souls. Uh, it, that's, you know, God uses that. And uh, it's, it's really, really powerful, really powerful. And then we can teach our kids at a very young age the power of suffering, the power of sacrifice. It's not all about them, that, that this is used for the goodness of souls. And with that, we, uh, we sign off wishing you all a great third Sunday of Advent. God bless you all. Amen. Reflections from the Heart has been presented by Stewardship, a Mission of Faith. We hope that you've been blessed and encouraged as you listen to Reflections from the Heart. If so, you might consider participating in a Gospel Reflection Group. For information on locations and times of Gospel Reflection Groups, or how to start a Gospel Reflection Group in your area, please visit our website at stewardshipmission.org and click on Gospel Reflection Groups, or call us at 717-367-0100. Stewardship, a Mission of Faith is a 501c3 nonprofit organization and depends on donations from people like you to make Reflections from the Heart possible. If you enjoyed this broadcast, 
please prayerfully consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting our website or calling us at 717-367-0100. On behalf of David and the staff here at Stewardship, a Mission of Faith, thank you for listening. And until next time, may God bless, protect, and guide you on your journey home to Him. Thank you.